Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We have been going through a series all summer long on the subject of wisdom. wisdom. On wisdom. Say it with me, wisdom. wisdom. Okay, well, what, Pastor, what, what, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to apply God's divine principles to each area of our lives. You say, Pastor, why do we need to do that? Because this is the owner's manual. This is the way that we were created to live. Solomon, who was he? Solomon's father was probably the best known king in all of the history of the world. At just 14 years old, out of obscurity, on his way simply to bring his brothers something to eat, he happens upon the greatest moment of his life and one of the greatest moments in spiritual history. There is a giant by the name of Goliath. And he happens upon the moment where Goliath is in a valley crying out to all of the armies of Israel that are up on a hill and he's challenging them to come out. And he said, hey, we don't have to war. You just send somebody down to fight me and whoever wins, a bunch of people don't have to die. If y'all win and your champion wins, we'll serve you. If, if, if we win, you serve us. Now, our guy's 11 feet tall. So bring out midget whoever. And so, of course, no one wants to go down. David happens to hear this. He's 14 years old. He's primarily a shepherd boy, but while being a shepherd boy, he's gained some skills. He sits back and and he practices his slingshot. And he's gotten so good that, that he can hit and kill large animals at a long distance. As a matter of fact, if you ever look at the Middle East today, when there is conflict, you'll often see rocks being slung back and forth. Historians tell us that they were so good at that time with slingshots that they could almost hit a small target between 50 and 100 yards. So David took his slingshot, of course, and went down and hit Goliath in the forehead. When he did, he then borrowed his sword, beheaded him, and that day, He went from being an unknown kid who was the most rejected person in his family. Most Bible scholars believe he was born out of an immoral relationship to being the most famous king in all the history of the world. How would you like to follow a guy like that? Well, his son Solomon had to. And when he became the king, when his father died, it was overwhelming. His father was bigger than life. He was a giant killer in every era of his life. He'd united together all of Israel that had been separated, the 12 tribes. He united them together. He expanded the land. He won many victories. And now he was dying and he was leaving everything to his young son, Solomon. Solomon was overwhelmed. So the first thing that he did when his father died is he went to the temple, to church. And he went up to the front and he said, God, Please give me wisdom so I can know how to lead these people. I'm not the giant killer my daddy was. I wasn't raised up from obscurity. I've been raised up in a palace all of my life. This is overwhelming to me. And God answered his prayer, and here's what he said. 
He said, Solomon, because you didn't ask for riches and because you didn't ask for fame and honor and because you didn't ask for the lives of your enemies, taking this opportunity to finally get back at the people that were ugly to you along the way. And Solomon, because you didn't ask for a long life, I am going to give you wisdom and favor and riches and honor. And I'm going to give you the gift you asked for, which is wisdom and how to lead my people. And the prize truths of that, he wrote here in the book, the word of God called Proverbs. Say it with me, Proverbs. How many of you read a proverb a day? Many people do. It takes about five minutes. It takes about five minutes. There's 31 chapters. And it's there he gives us principles of how God created and designed us to live. Let me give you one because a lot of times people think, Pastor, you're just saying that because it's the Bible and that's what you preach out of. Let me give you one spiritual eternal principle from this book that is proven medically, clinically, psychologically. This one, forgiveness. Anybody here ever been hurt? Okay. Anybody ever been betrayed? Anybody ever been really hurt and really betrayed? Okay. How many of you, if, if this was hurt, somebody hurt you, how many of you held on to that for maybe a day or two? How many a week or two? How many a month or two? How many a year or two? How many are you still holding on to? Thank God you're in church. Because you know what happens when you hold on to unforgiveness? Just think about this, okay? You're going to a family reunion, and they're going to be there. First of all, you got to decide whether you're going or not going because they're going to be there. The thought of them being there causes you anxiety, fear, stress, depression. Are you at ease? As a matter of fact, the longer you hold on to unforgiveness, it travels down a path from hurt to unforgiveness to resentment to bitterness. You know what the word resent means? To relive. And the worst part about it is you start just reliving it over. And it could have happened 30 years ago. It could have happened three months ago. It could have happened three days ago. The next book I'm going to write is going to be entitled Forgive It or Relive It. Because the greatest curse of unforgiveness is what happens to you stays an open wound and continuing to happen to you until you release it and get rid of it. And you know what you have? Are you at ease? You know what they call that? Disease. Are you in order? So you know what they call that? Disorders. And I believe that if many people could just forgive, they would release more disorders, be able to get off more medications and more issues in their life because the diseases and the disorders of their life come from not living the way God commanded you to live. Now, I, I'm also keenly aware that there are some people that go, oh, come on, pastor, you're just saying that because you're a preacher and you do that to, you know, just ensure job security. Okay. You know what this is right here? Does anybody know what this is? What does it look like? It's an owner's manual. 
As a matter of fact, it's an owner's manual to a 2021 Silverado 1500. It's sitting right outside this door. Don Mendoza, who's been a son of mine when I led him to Christ 20 years ago, was the biggest drug dealer in Acadiana. Last year, he was the independent car dealer of the year. He gives me a free car to drive, has for many, 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 many years. Uh, He gives each of our campus pastors a free car to drive. So I actually don't even own a car. So when you see me in a nice car, don't covet it because it will be sold in three weeks. (laughs) Now, if you want it, you can actually have it. All right. So, so, so matter of fact, recently somebody came out on Facebook, uh, uh, just a few months ago and said, pastor Jacob is rich. He has a fleet of escalades. I'm like, first of all, if I do have a fleet, I'm mad because I want to know where they are. Cause if my fleet fleeted me, if that's my fleet, and, and someone commented on the person that, 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 that put that on there and they said, I know Pastor Jacob and he doesn't even own a car. Donald and Danielle Mendoza of Mendoza Ford and Don Strux give him a free car to drive. And the person responded back on Facebook and said, how do you know that? And the person responded back and said, I am Danielle Mendoza. This is true. And they had a picture of me in their helicopter taking off from over here. And the person said, well, what about the helicopter? And Danielle said, that would be mine too. (laughs) And then they said, who are you? And she said, I am Danielle Mendoza. Pastor Jacob is my daddy. And the person didn't do anything after that. Now, This tells me, this manual tells me that if I change the oil every three to 5,000 miles, if I follow the service things, if I drive it as it appropriately should be driven, if I don't take it in places that it shouldn't, if I, it tells me, if I follow the instructions of this book, that car's probably going to go for a couple of hundred thousand miles. It only has 1,500 on it now. But suppose I took this book and went, this is a scheme. This is a scheme. Chevy sounds like Chevron. The oil companies, Shell, Chevron, Exxon, they're in cahoots. There is a QAnon conspiracy going on with the car companies to make us buy gas so they can take our money so that the government could tax it more so that they can take more of our hard-earned money. And you know what? If I follow, this says use premium gas. I'm not using premium gas. This says change oil every three to 5,000 miles. They're not going to trick me. I'll show them. I'll see. I'll take this thing 100,000 miles before I change my oil. When that thing says service the engine, liar, deceiver, conspiracy, you voted for Biden. Yes, I did. It's the new glasses. I'm telling you, it's the new glasses. 
So, watch this. How foolish would I be if in my mind I thought the reason they gave me this book is to manipulate my money, to cause me to go places I don't want to go, to get things done that don't need to be done, just all because I think they're manipulating me. How long would that car last? Answer? Suppose instead of premium gas, I put Youngsville finest water. Come on, I'm not talking about that Doosan stuff. I'm talking about that good stuff from Youngsville. How far would I go? This is the owner's manual for a Chevrolet truck. It will be recalled and revised. This is an eternal handbook by the creator of the universe that not only created it, he also created you. And there will be no recalls in this book. And there will be no revisions in this book. And there will be no, oops, we've done the wrong thing. As many people think it should be right. Hey, let me tell you something. There's some folks that are going to be recalled. And when they stand before God, he will recall everything they said and did. That's the real recall. So wisdom is the ability to take the truths of this book and apply them to our lives. Now Solomon teaches us that there are three ways to gain wisdom the right way. And then he teaches us that there's one way to gain wisdom the wrong way. Now how many of you want to learn it the right way? How many of you have always learned the hard way? So you just go ahead and say from the beginning of the sermon, Pastor, I'm Ted Cabri. So I'll just go ahead. That's hard-headed like a goat. So I'll just go ahead. And I'm going to learn the hard way. Well, let me tell you, the hard way, which I'll talk about in just a moment, is by learning through experience. And learning through experience is one of the most meaningful ways to learn. It's simply the most expensive way to learn. Why? Because when you learn from experience, you get the test first and the lesson last. And I don't know about you, I, I hated test day at school. How many of you hated test day? How many of you hated Friday in test days? Raise your hand. How many of you loved that? Raise your hand. I hate you in a Jesus kind of a way, but it's just for Jesus. But imagine that the first day, high school, your teacher walks in and she says, listen, guys, she says, "Uh, how many of you hate tests? Everybody raises their hand. She goes, good. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and give you the final exam on the first day because y'all all all hate tests. We're just going to get what we hate out of the way. What would you say? No. No. Do you know why? Because every time you get the test first and the lesson last, you fail. Experience is an effective teacher, but it is not the best teacher. It's the most expensive teacher. You have to actually lose something to learn something. What's the best way to learn wisdom? Today you're going to know. Today you're going to see 
people that you work with, people that work for you, people that you train and teach, you're going to see them in an entirely different light as we allow Solomon to teach us how to truly learn wisdom. So what's the best way to learn wisdom? Well, how many of you know the story of Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, and the garden was perfect. Adam was perfect. Eve was perfect. So for every man who's ever said, Pastor, if I just had the perfect woman, look, one man had it, and he messed that up, so would you. (laughs) Go ahead, ladies. You can clap now. You've been waiting for that. And we all know about the Ten Commandments. What you might not know is that the Hebrews, the Jews, the Israelites had 500 commandments. What they were to wear, when they were to wear it, when they were to worship, how they were supposed to dress. If you touch the dead body, if you touch the dead, there were 500 commandments, more than that. Now, most of us have struggled with the 10. They have 500. Adam and Eve were given a bunch of commandments. They were given one commandment. There were thousands of trees in the garden, and God told them one thing. You may not eat of one tree. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says you can eat of any of the trees that are there, but there's one tree you can't eat of. And I know what many of you are thinking. Well, pastor, why would God put that tree there? Did God know where they were going to eat of that tree? What's the answer to that? Then then why did he put it there? I'm going to answer that in just a moment. The second question is, why is it called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Number one, why did God put the tree there? Because there is no love without choice. God didn't want robots. He wanted a relationship. And so... He took one tree, not seven, not 15, not 500, one. And he said, don't eat of it. You you, you probably heard of the guy who had just broken up with a a girl they'd been dating a long time and she was so angry and she said, I just want you to know if you ever came back to me, I wouldn't marry you if you were the last man on the face of this earth. And he looked at her with a little smile and said, you wouldn't get a chance to. Every other woman on earth would be after me. (laughs) Love demands a choice. Why is it called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because God wanted man like you want your children and your loved ones to know evil by definition and not by experience. How many of you have teenagers, 15, 16, 18? Raise your hand. Okay. Those of you that don't, your prayer life is going to be increased in the near future. How many of you have ever gotten drunk before? Come on, this is church. If you lie in church, you go straight to hell. You don't pass purgatory. Now you just, no, okay. Raise your hand, okay. Now, I'm not going to say what you've smoked, but how many of you have smoked something that you don't want to talk about? Okay, all right, all right. Now, okay, here's the one you don't chuckle at. 
How many of you were sexually involved before marriage? You don't raise your hand, please. Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you either have told your children not to go out and get drunk or to use anything illegal? Or one day you plan on doing that? Come on, raise your hand. You haven't? Or one day you plan? Okay. What are the rest of you going to tell them? <laughs> You're the people I'm talking to. Okay. Secondly, how many of you are going to tell your children, wait till you get married, till you give yourself to your mate? Okay. All right. Now, what are you going to do when they look over at you and they ask you the obvious question? Daddy. Hmm? Daddy, you ever got drunk and smoked some weed? Well, where's that message from Pastor Jacob on Sunday, honey? Let's listen to that. Turn on that worship music. I'm feeling Hillsong. Well, what are you going to say when they look at you and go, Mama, you, you told me not to sleep with my boyfriend. You slept with daddy? Well, you got married? Well, baby, I wasn't raised like you were raised. I, um, I wasn't raised in the kind of home you were raised in. You're blessed to be raised in the home you was raised in. My mom and papa look fine now. They were sick when I was a kid. They, just trust me. They look normal now. They were really not good. So here's a question. Why are you going to tell them not to do what you did because they're going to look at you and go, well, you did it and you turned out okay. And then you have to be honest. No, I'm really not okay. Remember, <laughs> I'm sick in my mind and my heart. I carry more guilt than you know. <laughs> Watch this. You know why? Because you want them to know evil by definition and not by experience. Because when you learn it by experience, you learn something, but you lose something in the process. You do. And guilt comes, and fear comes, and shame comes, and anxiety comes, and depression comes. And all of those things come because they put your life in disorder because you're not living the way you were designed and created to live by the real handbook that will never be revised or recalled. Is this okay so far? So today, how can we gain wisdom? How can we gain wisdom God's way? Well, the first way that we gain wisdom is through instruction. Say that with me, instruction. Instruction. Here is what Proverbs says, Solomon teaching us. Proverbs 9, 9. Teach a wise man what is right and he will grow even wiser. Instruct the lovers of God and they'll what? Learn even more. The first way is through instruction. Proverbs 19, 20. Listen to counsel and receive what? Because you can be instructed and not receive it. You can be instructed and not receive it. I'm going to talk about that later. And receive instruction that you may be what? In your what? You know what that means? Nobody's actually wise. You have to learn wisdom. 
But when you learn from this book, you can actually learn. That's a Hebrew term that means in the end or in afterwards. In other words, you can make decisions now just as though you knew what was going to happen in the end. I, I've talked to mentor and disciple a number of people and, and probably, I don't know, periodically they'll say to me, you know, Pastor Jacob, you are very wise. And I go, no, I'm very old. If I would have known that when I was your age and not my age, I'll be wisdom, I'd be wise. So what I want to do is I want to give you what I know now so that you don't have to wait till you're my age to figure out that it's true. Wisdom is knowing on the front end what's going to happen in the back end. Let me ask you a simple, simple question. How many of you got a savings account? How many of you got a 401k? How many of you it's down to a 401b? Okay. If you're into Bitcoin, it's not even an A. But watch this. How many of you would invest your money in an account that when you took your last breath on earth, there was nothing left in it for your children, grandchildren, wife, and family. Would anybody invest in an account like that? Answer? Every time you build on that which is temporary and that which is not eternal from God's perspective, then you're building on something that will not last. And the moment you take your last breath, your 401k will be empty and gone. That's why Jesus said, store up treasure in heaven where rust can't corrupt it and moth can't eat it. You can store up with God's truth what is eternal now. It was, it, it was Abraham Lincoln who in the end of his life had a true encounter with God. He began reading the Bible for the first time in a serious way. And here's what he said. It is my great misfortune that I've only learned in the end of my life the truths and the treasures of this book. Let's paraphrase. Wisdom is when you can learn that before you get to the end. That's what he's talking about. That's what instruction will do. Instruction is to live within God's boundaries by submitting now to God's order. Let me translate that. Obey God because he created you to live that way and he loves you and that's the best way for you to live. That's the best way for you to live. Let me put it in a driving example. Stay in your lane on the highway. Stay in your lane. People have gone before you. They paved the way. They've laid cement. Okay, I know this is Louisiana. There's potholes in the middle of it. But it's still much better than the alternative. Stay in your lane. The first way we learn wisdom is through instruction. Here's the second way. Correction. Correction is a stern call to one who is straying. Or you're hitting the shoulder. You know when you get the shoulder, it's, 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 it's hey, 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 you're on the shoulder. Hey, you're about to run off the road. That's what correction is. Let me put it in a little better terminology. It's spanking. It's spanking. How many of you grew up being spanked? Raise your hand. 
How many of you were ever spanked with a switch? My mom would look at you and say, go get a switch. Hey, getting the switch was as much punishment as the switch. I mean, you're sitting there, let me find a skinny one. I can find the skinny. Skinniest ones are the ones that hurt the worst. How many got the belt? I've got the belt, okay. How many of you went to my school of my parents' discipline? Extension cord. Come on. How many of you was a broom, anything they could grab? An extension cord, anything. How many got that one? Raise your hand. I love you and I feel you. We made it. Now, now listen carefully to me because I want you to hear what I'm going to say. Um, I'm not talking about abuse. That's wrong. I'm not talking about hurting children because you're mad. That's wrong. I'm not talking about you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. That's wrong. I'm talking about biblical spanking and discipline. Everybody with me? Now, I'm going to give you one very simple reason why I believed in spanking all of my children. Okay? Are you ready? I just never thought I was smarter than God. I just never thought I was smarter than God. Listen to what God says through Solomon, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a... Okay, what does that mean? You don't know my little baby. My little baby, he's so good. Your baby's a spoiled brat left to himself. No, you don't know her. All I got to do, if I just look at her, Pastor, she just goes... <laughs> and does what I say. Well, if God's word is true, he says foolishness is bound up in her heart or his heart. Watch this. But the rod of discipline, correction administered with godly wisdom and loving kindness will remove it. What? Do do you want your children to have foolishness stay in their heart or do you want to get it removed from their heart? God says the way it comes from their heart is through their butt. (laughs) All of my children were spanked. Let me just give you so that you'll know what this looked like. We had a pink chair in our bedroom. Pastor, why did you have a pink chair? That was all we could afford. And, And we had a paddle. Ironically, Christian, my second child, who's preaching right now, my in-laws had unpainted furniture by Louise, and he went, he would love to go there and work on Saturdays, and so he made a paddle for his brothers. It's about this big, about this thick. And I mean, it had a handle on it. Guess who got it more than anybody in the whole family? It was prophetic. Guess who owns the paddle today? Guess whose children are getting spanked with the same paddle he got spanked with? Christian. And so they would walk in the room and I'd go, baby, do you know what you do? (gasps) Yes, you do. Okay. Mama warned you twice and she told you the next time if you did this, you were going to get the rod of correction. Now that is not mad, but I'm going to spank you. I don't want to spank you, but whenever you disobey mama and daddy, you disobey God. Now bend over. It was easy for Jacob Jr. He was just like real logical. He'd go, okay. 
And he had like a little skinny butt about this size. I mean, you would just feel bad. You would just go hit yourself in the leg once just so the other children heard something. You go, ah! And then you'd spank him, and then I'd hug him, pray for him, rub their behind, the same one I spanked, and it was over. Okay? I wanted my act to represent the act of a father that loves them, a heavenly father. Are you with me? Okay, so, so that Christian, he'd come in. Do you know what you do? And literally, I would take him. I would put his legs right here. I would have him back like that. I'd start spanking him. I'd hit myself 10 times, him three times, and I stopped because I couldn't take it anymore. It had nothing to do with him. Anybody have any of those kids? Proverbs 29, 15 says, experiencing many corrections and rebukes will make you wise, but left to your own ways, you will bring to who? How many of you want your children to bring disgrace to you? Do you want to bring disgrace to you? We have an entire generation that has brought disgrace to their parents. And do you know why? I'm going to read this last verse and I'm going to tell you why. Proverbs 13, 24. If you withhold correction and punishment from your child, you demonstrate a lack of true love. Read this with me. So prove your love and be prompt to punish them. I know many of you came from unloving families and parents that didn't do it the right way. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't do what should be done in the right way because somebody else did it the wrong way. Do you know why many parents don't spank their children today? Because they so long to be affirmed, they want to be liked by their children instead of loved by their children. And so you know what they do? They can't do anything that causes their children not to like them. And by doing that, they forfeit having their children one day love them. You're looking at a daddy that moved three children kicked them out of the house. Did it work? I don't know. Two of them are pastors and the other one's on his way. I'll let you figure that out. Was it hard? Very. Did my wife want me to do it? No. Did she fight me? No. Did I get cut off a night or two? Yes. (laughs) Was it worth it? Because my goal is not to be liked by my wife. My goal is to be loved by my God. Because if I love him and I'm a man of God, she'll always love me. God, that's so good. And this correction, so many parents are afraid to be rejected by their children. They are. I... I don't know the, 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 the individual I'm going to talk to you about or his brother. I simply know their story. The mayor of Atlanta, his first name is Kadeem. He and his brother were twins, African-American. When he was 12 years old, his father brought he and his twin brother and sat him down in front of him and said, boys, I just want to tell you, for the next eight years of your life, you're going to hate me. But after that, you're going to love me for the rest of your lives. 
Both of those boys went to Ivy League schools. One is a congressman. The other one is a mayor. And they might not have liked their daddy, but today they follow in his footsteps and they understand that real love means doing the hard thing, even if you hate that you're having to do it yourself. In a recent survey, watch this. In a recent survey, 2019, it revealed that up to 22% of children are physically hitting their parents. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying if you don't spank your children, one day they grow up and spank you. Oh, you don't have to clap on that one. That's okay. It's the Bible. I feel good about myself. And I have new glasses. And today's my wife's birthday. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) Here's the third way to learn wisdom. It's called reproof. The first way is instruction. The second way is correction. The third way is reproof. Say that word, proof. What is reproof? I love this. A holy slap across the face. A holy slap across the face. It's temporary pain to stop you from continuing on a path that would lead to destruction. Here's the example. Okay, instruction is I'm staying in my lane. Correction is I'm riding on the shoulder. Reproof is I'm in the ditch. Stop it. Stop it. Quit. Don't you see what you're doing? Don't you see what's going to happen? It's reproof. Listen to what the scripture says about reproof. Proverbs 12, 1. Solomon tells us, whoever loves instruction and discipline loves knowledge. But, read this with me, he who hates and is, is what? Is stupid. Why is he saying that? Because if you won't listen to instruction and correction and reproof from the people that love you, who do you go to to get it? That's why you're stupid. There's nobody else left to go to. There's no one else left to go to. Proverbs 15, 32 says this. He who neglects and ignores instruction and discipline despises who? They despise themselves. But he who learns from rebuke acquires understanding and grows in wisdom. And now here is the final way to learn wisdom and the worst way. It's just through the painful experiences and consequences of your own choices. This is now, you got out of your lane, you've run off the shoulder, you're in a ditch, and now you've run in to a tree. If you're fortunate, you're the only one that's harmed. If not, someone else and others are harmed. Now the car stopped The fire department's on his way. The ambulance is blaring. The police are coming. People are now stopped around you. Anybody that loves you has heard about it. It's all a 911. Everybody's trying to reach out. 
And now because you didn't stay in your lane through instruction, you wouldn't listen to the side area of the shoulder of correction. And you refused when someone did everything they could, even though it was painful to stop you. Now the inevitable has happened and the only one that is surprised is you. Nobody else is surprised. Just you. You have violated everything in the handbook. And now, with your life falling apart, listen to what Proverbs 29, 1 says. He who hardens his neck and refuses instruction after being reproved, corrected, and criticized. Read this last part with me. Will suddenly be beyond beyond repair. Beyond repair. Your life becomes totaled. And now, you must learn by experience. And now, in order to learn something, you've had to lose something. Wow. But Pastor, how, how, how should I respond? Listen to what Proverbs 15.10 says. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes God's way, who hates what? He will... That's a progression. Like when the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that isn't three things he does. That's a progression of what he does. First, you die spiritually. Then you become morally bankrupt. And then finally, you die physically. The ultimate recall happens because you didn't listen. Proverbs 15, 10, the message translation says, it's a school of hard knocks for those who leave God's path. A dead-end street for those who hate God's rules. Proverbs 5, 22 and 23, the Passion Translation says it so powerfully. Please read it with me. Beware that your sins do not and that the scars of your own consciences don't become the ropes that tie you up. Those who choose wickedness die for a lack of, for their foolish ways lead them astray, carrying them away as kidnapped captives robbed of their destiny. Can can I tell you this? If you're a born-again child of God, this is not a battle of whether you're going to go to heaven. This is, are you going to do what God created you to do from the beginning of time? Are you going to fulfill your purpose? Someone said the greatest day of your life is the day that you're born and the second greatest day is the day you find out why. Pastor Open Martinez told our teenagers, the purpose of life after you know Christ is to discover your gifts. And then the meaning of life comes to give them away. To give them away. All of that is robbed in a moment. It's robbed in a moment. Say, Pastor, what, what, what should I do? 
when, when I receive, when people do correct me? What, what can I do to keep from the total destruction? What can I do, Pastor? Let me give you in the last three minutes three very simple things that I think will be life-changing for you if you implement them. Number one, when someone corrects you, first of all, acknowledge them. Look into their eyes. Not look in their eyes. Secondly, receive it. Receive it. One of the things I've taught my children and even our staff is that when I'm saying something to you, if it's true, and you look at me like, you look at me like every teacher that failed me all my life. So I think you're not getting it. You don't, you, I think in your mind, you're going, Pastor Jacob, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. You don't. So I want you to look at me if it's true and say, I receive that. Because you can experience instruction and correction and reproof and still not receive it. You sure can. So you look at me and go, I receive that. And here's the third thing. Acknowledge it. Secondly, let them know you receive it. Here's the third thing. And this is so good. Look at me. Thank them. Thank them. We have some of the best Christian counselors in America right here in our church, sitting right here today, right now. Do you know what they get paid a lot of money for? To tell people things that they finally are willing to hear because all throughout the course of their life, no one that loves them got through to them or would tell them. So now they're paying someone that doesn't even know them to tell them what a true friend would have said to them a long time ago if they would have received it. The Bible says correct a fool and he will hate you. Correct a wise person and they will love you. The Bible says in this same Proverbs, open correction is better than secret love and a friend that will hurt you and wound you with the truth is better than your enemies that kiss up to you. I'm going to say this again. I'm sorry for those of you who had abusive parents or grandparents or guardians. That's wrong. But that's not God. That's not God. Here's God. And if you go to the Passion Translation for me, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Here's God's heart. My child, when the Lord speaks to you, another translation says, corrects you, never take his words, what? Never become upset when he, for the father's discipline comes only from his and pleasure for you. And when it seems like his correction is harsh, he's still better than any father on earth and what he would give his child. We have a lot of coaches that come to our church, both life coaches, football, baseball, basketball. Can I tell you this? You know what coaches say? When, when they're correcting someone, they go, man, you're so hard on me. You know what they say? I only correct the players I believe in. 
If I didn't believe in you, I wouldn't waste my time correcting you. In our generation, we are so broken. We think that by ripping off all the don't drive on the shoulder signs or slow down or ravine ahead or we think by ripping off all the signs that somehow it means that all of those things still aren't there. Can I tell you what life is like? It's like that Lake Charles Bridge. It is. That one that when my mama was driving from partying all weekend and nodding off when we lived in Lake Charles, I said, Mama, let me drive. I was 12 years old when I started driving from Houston all the way to Lake Charles Bridge. And when I get to the bridge, I'd stop and pull over and I'd wake her up and go, Mama, I'm afraid to go over the bridge. She'd wake up and we'd drive over the bridge. Do you know what the highway is now? It's the Lake Charles Bridge. And there are no rails. That's the world your children face. That's the world your grandchildren face. It's the world you face. Let us pursue wisdom. Let us surrender to God in every area of our lives. I want to say again, I'm sorry if you've been hurt through an abusive person. That was never God's plan nor God's way. But don't let it take you from the truth of doing it God's way. Don't. Don't. One of the things that I hear people say often, young people, and I, 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 whenever my children say this, I just stop them. They go, well, you know, we, we're, we're just, we're just going to figure it out. We're just going to figure it out. Look at me. You think anybody's got a problem that's in this book is trying to figure it out? So if they're not trying to figure it out, I can promise you, you don't have to figure it out either. God already figured it out for you a long time ago. <clears throat> Father, today we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the power of its truth. How that sword comes and and it cuts in one side and it heals with the other. How do you come to, the, to the, the areas of our life that have been in disorder or dis-ease? And the truth of your word is like a healing salve. And even though it hurts, it heals at the same time. Lord, help us to receive the word of God. To receive that engrafted word that is able to save our soul as the Apostle Paul teaches us. Thank you for the precious people that are here and the privilege of being their pastor. With every head bowed and every eye closed, now I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you you must be born again. Have you been born again? That's the most important question that will ever be answered in your life. It determines where you spend eternity. It determines whether you have a relationship with God. It determines whether you're spiritually alive and you've been spiritually raised from the dead. You can be God-fearing, but still not be God-knowing. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I may have been Christian, baptized, or even joined the church. 
but I've never been born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor in my junior high school. That day, the old Jacob died, and a new one was raised from the dead. You say, Pastor, how can I do that? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. Either he died for your sin or you die with your sin. Somebody must die for it. And see, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. But today I want to know God. I want to repent. I want to turn away from my old life. I want a new beginning. I don't want to live life in the ditch. Tragedy after tragedy, wreck after wreck. Dragging guilt and shame and hurt and others that love me along with me. So on the count of three, if you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I've never prayed to be born again. I want to do that today. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand real high and then put it back down. I'm the only one that's looking. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Even everything in this message was tailor-made just for you by God. And now's your moment for a new beginning to be born again. Three, if that's you, lift your hand. Lift it high. I want to see your hand. High. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Anywhere else? Eleven. Okay, twelve. You could put your hands down. Last ten seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these twelve, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. Would you pray for me? I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Raise it up high right now. Put it back down. I'm asking this last time just for you. Okay, thirteen. Fourteen. 15. All right. The church, let's pray out loud for those who are praying to be born again today. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for me. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.